You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Our scripture reading today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you who redeems us. Amen. Today, millions of Christians around the world are remembering the same story that we are today. The story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. We're about to enter a sacred week. Sometimes we simply call it Holy Week, Holy Week. It's a week in which we journey with Jesus, not only to Jerusalem, but through his final meal with his disciples, onward to the cross, and then on Easter to the empty tomb in the story of the resurrection. This morning, love in action looks like remembering the story telling the story. And the journey begins today as we celebrate what we call Palm Sunday, an account that is recorded in all four Gospels. You have to know there are very few events actually in Jesus' life that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the stories often overlap, but in John's Gospel, they're very different, and John focuses often on what Jesus said rather than what Jesus did, and John has different stories, but they all have their own unique stories and kind of their own unique spin on things, which kind of makes sense, because if I were to ask those of you who were at the Easter Bash yesterday what happened, some of you are going to tell me about the golf putt-putt game that Brenda and Karen were running, and some of you are going to tell me about the people that you talked to, and some of you might say, well, they were painting painting rocks, and there were goats. We're probably all going to say there were Easter eggs, aren't we? Yes? Uh, Most of you might tell me there was an Easter bunny. There was. But we're going to vary on the details, what we choose to focus on, what we think is most important. So the fact that Jesus' trip to Jerusalem is mentioned in all four places, all four Gospels, means this was a big deal. This was a story that was told and retold. It was kind of at the core of the story of Jesus' life. And the fact that all four Gospels agree on so many of the details of this particular story means this is something we need to be paying attention to. Anything that, anytime that happens in the Gospels where you're reading along and you say, oh, Matthew says this, and Mark, and John, and Luke, that's, that's when your ears have to perk up and you go, okay, I need to pay attention. The Gospels agree on almost all of the details of Jesus' arrival to Jerusalem, but they vary significantly as to what he was doing before he went there. So if you read Mark and Matthew, Jesus approaches the city right after healing a blind man. That was, that was what he did. 
In Luke, the last thing Jesus does before entering Jerusalem is telling a parable. In John, John's gospel, Jesus has been anointed with costly oil or costly perfume, which as you read it in the context of his death, kind of takes on an ominous foreshadowing of the anointing for burial that comes later in the story. And when taken together, I think this is a really interesting collection that points to who Jesus was. You've got the stories that he told, the wisdom that he shared. You've got the healing and miracles that he offered to people. And then you've got the, um, the challenging wisdom and the focus on, on his death and resurrection, this anointing piece. Jesus knew it was the beginning of the end as he rode into Jerusalem. He must have known because every moment in this story is rich in meaning and symbolism. As they get close to the city, Jesus says to his disciples, I need you to go find me a donkey or, or a colt. And he sends them to a nearby village and he says, if anybody asks you what you're doing, what you're going to say is the Lord has need of this animal. That's the same quote in all of the different Gospels. And that's because that, in turn, is a quote from the prophet Zechariah from the Old Testament, or what we sometimes call the Hebrew Bible. And in Mark's Gospel, Jesus also adds on, he says, after we need it, we're going we're gonna to bring it back right away. Which is a fun little add-on, because often in Roman times, the Roman soldiers would come and requisition things, and they'd say, yep, the Lord has need of this but they'd never bring it back. So for Jesus to say, I'm gonna bring this thing back, sets him apart a little bit from the other powerful figures of the time. Now the, the donkey and the colt, it's connected to a prophecy in the Hebrew Bible that said the Messiah will come, the king will come riding on a colt, and it's symbolic because it's the antithesis, it's the opposite of what a king would typically choose as a steed. People in the first century would have been very familiar with processions. Many people would have processed into Jerusalem, kings, conquerors, powerful people. Typically, they were riding on a war horse, decked out in all kinds of finery. It would have been very impressive. They would have been towering, looming over people. And here comes Jesus, riding on his little donkey, his little colt, maybe with somebody's coat strewn over the back of it. It was not a very impressive sight when seen from traditional standards. We call Jesus the king of kings, but he was not like any other king Jerusalem had ever seen. There were crowds of people surrounding this moment. There were crowds of people ahead of Jesus. There were crowds of people following behind Jesus. And they started spreading out their cloaks and their coats on the ground before him. And other people started cutting down branches from the nearby trees. John's gospel is the only one that adds a little detail of palm branches. But it's another symbolic moment Laying down cloaks echoes a scene from the Old Testament from 2 Kings where a, a different king was anointed by a prophet, King Jehu this time, and someone spread down a cloak for him to walk on. And the people who were spreading these cloaks down, they would have had these stories in their mind because they were familiar with what had happened previously. They were familiar with these historic events. So it wasn't just that they were spreading down their cloaks in the branches, they're echoing these moments from history. And meanwhile, the palm branches for the last hundred years by Jesus' time would have symbolized victory. These were palms of victory that they're waving over Jesus as he's going to enter the city. I should have had my palm up here for this moment. All of these things would have evoked memories for people, powerful symbols, the branches, the cloaks. 
And then the crowd starts to shout and to sing, and they're all saying the same thing in unison. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, it's more than just words on the page. These are words rich with meaning. The line that they cheered is a quote from Psalm 118, which is a psalm of pilgrimage or travel, a psalm that you'd sing on a journey. It's part of the liturgy of the Jewish celebration of the Passover, and most of the people who were in that crowd with Jesus would have been going to Jerusalem, like him, to celebrate the Passover. They were on a pilgrimage, singing a pilgrimage song. There's layer upon layer upon layer to these words. And by the way, we, we quote this line, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, every time we take communion as a church, both as a nod to Jesus' enter, entering of Jerusalem and a nod to the Jewish history as part of the Passover. The crowd itself is another symbol. If you think back to the story of Jesus' birth, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts, a crowd of angels surrounding him when he was born. And then he goes on to teach and preach, and he teaches to crowds of people. He performed a miracle feeding thousands of people. And, of course, we know when he gets into Jerusalem, there will be another crowd present as he goes towards the cross and the crowd yells at him for his crucifixion. And so it seems appropriate that a crowd would be present here for this moment as he enters the city. Now, from this moment on, from this Palm Sunday moment on, the Gospels diverge again in terms of what happens next. If you read Mark's Gospel, Jesus enters Jerusalem and then he makes a quick exit. He goes back, he spends the night at Bethany and he he does a couple other things before he... um, famously curses a fig tree. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus goes straight to the temple and starts overthrowing tables and yelling at everybody. If you read it, if you read Luke's account, Jesus first weeps for the city before he goes on to the temple. And then if you read John's gospel, John's gospel, Jesus is always given speeches and it's no exception here. Jesus gives a speech after he gets into the city. It's really just these few verses, these Palm Sunday processional verses where all the gospels point to the same details. And so these symbols really are significant. The donkey, the branches, the cloaks, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a humble entry for a king. The stories are gonna come come together once more pretty quickly at the cross. And all the gospels acknowledge in their own way the pain and the suffering that Jesus experienced and the humiliating death he faced on the cross. And then they come together again at the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. Again, the details a little bit different depending on whose version you're reading, but they all agree the tomb was empty, and we'll hear that story next week. But for right now, we're in an in-between time. We're in a liminal moment. The cross is before us, and so is the empty tomb. But we're not quite there yet. We're on the journey, we're on the pilgrimage. We, like that crowd, are approaching, ready to celebrate, ready to remember, ready for what's next. We're on the threshold of something special. This Lent, we've been focusing on love in action. And there have been so many awesome opportunities for us to get involved, and I've seen many of you show up to tie blankets or to decorate cookies or to serve meals. Um, And... It's been, it's been pretty awesome to see that, to see how many of you have gotten involved and given of your time and your gifts. 
This Lent really has been an invitation for us to live out our faith, to walk the walk, to put things into action that we profess to believe, to offer our hands and our feet as instruments of Christ's love and Christ's grace. As we approach Holy Week, we have an additional kind of invitation that's a little bit different. Our invitation is to show up and simply witness God's love. And this is not a week where there's anything for us to do because it's all already been done by God. Most of Lent has been about us being love for the world, being love in action. Well, Holy Week is about us experiencing love in action. It's about us receiving and acknowledging love. The great drama of this week, it seems to me, is that there is nothing for us to do There's nothing that we need to do or bring. There's no qualification that God is looking for from us. There's no particular thing that we need to bring to check off on the to-do list. We just need to bring ourselves because God has done the work already. The story is before us for us to remember and receive. The next seven days for us focus on a story of overwhelming, powerful, awe-inspiring love woven together in a narrative with sacrifice and betrayal and grace and resurrection. It's an awesome story. And this is the core of our Christian faith, that God doesn't shy away from the difficult things or the painful things. We're not alone in those trying moments. And there's always hope and resurrection possible. Today's the start of that journey. It's the start of Holy Week. And so I invite you in these next days leading up to Easter to consider setting aside some intentional time to show up to witness and experience God's love. And it doesn't matter if it's two minutes or if it's 20 minutes or uh, if you set a reminder on your phone or if you do something when you first wake up. It doesn't matter when or how as long as it's intentional. Showing up to God's love might look like prayer or Bible reading. It might look like marking your calendar to attend the Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services, which, by the way, if you show up for those services, you are not going to regret it. You will find that it is meaningful for your your faith walk. Experiencing God's love might be as simple as looking in the mirror every single day this week and saying, I am loved just as I am by God. Showing up to God's love might might mean admitting that you didn't quite make it on your Lenten discipline this year. But that's okay, because we all need Jesus. That's the point. Showing up to love might look like seeing yourself in the crowd in the story today, what it might have been like to be there with Jesus. Showing up to experience God's love might look like imagining Judas' perspective or Peter's perspective in the story that's coming before us this week. Showing up to God's love could be as simple as cuddling your dog or your cat every day and saying a prayer of thanks. I don't know what it might look like for you, but it's important to show up and say, God, here I am, and I'm ready. There are so many ways for us to witness God's love in action. And for us as Christians, this is the start of an intentional week-long journey where we seek to do just that. May this be the week where we show up to hear the story, to remember it, to accept it, to receive it for ourselves as we follow Jesus from Palm Sunday 
to the cross, to the empty tomb, and we remember and we celebrate and we claim it for ourselves. May we experience God's love in action this day and every day. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.